the living Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, bow our hearts for a word of prayer as we go into the word. Jehovah, we thank you that your word is life. Your word rejuvenates and brings alive. Lord, as we come at your feet today to learn, Holy Spirit, we pray that you will teach us the word of God. That at the entrance of your word today, Lord, let there be illumination in the name of Jesus. Every opportunity that we have not been able to identify before, as the word of God comes forth today, Lord, let your light, let it shine. Let it shine bright. And let it open our eyes to see possibilities in the mighty name of Jesus. Uh, there is a tendency because of the, uh, the, 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 the pandemic and the heaviness in the air. Uh, that, that we begin to think, okay, this is just my life. No, that is not your life. You are the treasured possession of God, and God has a plan for you specifically. Lord, let the entrance of your word today, let it illuminate our hearts that we may see who we are truly in Christ Jesus. We thank you, blessed Redeemer, in the name of Jesus. I surrender myself to you, O Lord, that I will not come in between your word and the people that the word will flow as you have intended it in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord, somebody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So once again, I welcome everybody to church today. Can you imagine that it's already the last Sunday of the month? It's last Sunday. Today is the last Sunday in June. And not only that, thank you for that. <laughs> not only that, it is the last Sunday of the first half of the year. It means by the next time we gather on Sunday, that is, <laughs> or we're going to meet on Tuesday, but Tuesday is still going to be June. But when we meet on Friday, we're going to be in the new month. When we meet on Sunday, we're going to be in the new month. And we're going to begin the journey of the second half of 2020. Can I prophesy over somebody's life this morning? <laughs> Amen. Whatever the first half has been for you, the second half of this year will be greater. Amen. It will be better. Amen. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, if you are saying in your heart the first half was terrible, God will change your story. Amen. The second half of 2020 will mark a spectacular beginning for you. A spectacular new beginning in the name of Jesus. Thank you, blessed Redeemer. In Jesus' mighty name. Brethren, God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we may think or ask of him according to his power that is at work in us. That is scripture. That is scripture. And I want you to believe the Lord. I want you to believe God. When you look around, there is a very real tendency and possibility to be... Uh, amen? And you're not alone. There are many people feeling, uh, but that is not who you are. <laughs> Hallelujah. That is not who you are. You are bigger and better than that in Christ Jesus. Amen. If the situation does not make you happy, find something to make you happy by yourself. Yesterday, I went to the store with my daughters, and we went to buy uh, a game kit, you know, outdoor game kit. 
in that one single kid, he had three different games. He had the badminton, he has the uh, volleyball, and he has the third thing, I don't know what it's called. <laughs> but he had three things. So yesterday, we, as we got home, I was excited. We set the thing up, and then we began to play badminton, and we're playing badminton, and then we're playing volleyball. I woke up to the pain this morning. <laughs> That's where I'm going. My back hurts, my knees hurt, everywhere is uh, aching, and, but we had fun. That's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God will give you joy. God will satisfy your joy in the name of Jesus. Very quickly, let's get in the word uh, right now. We have started a series on the epistle of John, and we're still in 1 John. Uh, and if I may add, we're still in chapter 1, still making our journey into 2. But by the grace of God, we will finish chapter 1 today and begin chapter 2. The scripture is very clear about the meaning and the cost of discipleship. Amen? God is not seeking for church members. God is not seeking for church attenders. God is seeking disciples. And the scripture is very, very clear about what that means. Being a follower of Jesus has a price to it. Jesus paid for our salvation, but now that we're saved, there's work for us to do. There are a few things that I've listed here. Uh, Jesus made it very clear. He said, I have come to establish my father's kingdom. That's his purpose here on earth. When he started his uh, preaching ministry, teaching ministry, his first words were very simple. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was what he preached. And that was what he talked about. Amen. He was clear that I have come to establish a kingdom. And he said, any man that will follow me, any man that will be a part of this kingdom, amongst other things, there are a few things that he must know and he must do that, is, uh, that I'm going to talk about very quickly. And for those of you that have the church app, the sermon outline is already in the app. Matter of fact, the sermon notes, not just an outline. He said, number one, anyone that will be my disciple must forsake father and mother and brother and sister. Luke chapter 14, Luke 14, from verse 25 to 28. The Bible says, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Amen? You must hate what? Everything else by comparison. He said, your father and your mother, your wife and your children, your brothers and your sisters, yes, even your own life, he says. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. These are the words of Jesus. Next verse, please. Uh, 26. If you want to be my disciple, oh, no, no, 27, I'm sorry, you were right, 27. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Not only must you hate father, mother, 
uh, brothers, sister, even your own life in comparison to Christ. It says daily I must carry my cross. And I must follow him. I told you the other time that being a child of God, being saved, being born again is a daily decision. It's not a one and done that I, I have made the confession, now I'm born again. Every day you must make a decision that today I'm going to still remain born again. I'm going to remain saved. Today is a daily decision that we have to make. And that's what the scripture is telling us here. It's saying daily I must carry my cross and follow Jesus Christ. Following Christ is not a one and done thing, but rather a daily commitment. Someone say daily commitment. It's a daily commitment. It's a daily commitment. And verse 28, it says, but don't begin, I said, but don't begin until you count the cost, for who will begin construction of a building? And then he gave different examples of what it means to count the cost. And then finally, in verse 33, verse 33, he says, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. What's he saying? He's not saying go sell all your property and then be destitute to follow me. No. What he's simply saying is that nothing should be too much for God to ask of you. You remember the story of Abraham. God told him, he said, sacrifice your son, Isaac, unto me. And God began to clear, uh, uh, qualify. He said, your son, your only son, whom you love. So don't tell me stories that maybe I forgot that this is the only son. No, 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 no. I know he's the only son. And I know you love him very dearly. But at the same time, I want you to give him to me. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, nothing... There cannot be anything that is so prized that I cannot give to God. Nothing. Number two. So number one is I must be willing, in relative to Christ, I must be willing to forsake all others. So my wife, as much as I love her, I love my wife very dearly, but my wife is not going to come between me and Jesus. I love my children very dearly, but they are never going to come between me and Jesus. I love my job. I love my career. But it's never going to come between me and Jesus. It means at the point that anything wants to come between you and Christ, that's where you draw the line. Amen? What, we, what you see more often than not is at that point when the rubber meets the road is when people begin to make uh, compromises. And then we say, we, we say things like, oh, we, we have to apply wisdom. No, you are compromising. You are not applying wisdom. The wisdom of God is pure. It's not going to lead you contrary to the word of God. Hallelujah. And then Jesus went further and told them, in Matthew, when you get home, read it. I'm not going to go into it. And Matthew 19, you read from verse 24 to 30. It tells them, it says, look. It will be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You see, that is shocking. Very, very shocking. What is God saying? God is not saying rich people will not go to heaven. He's just saying be mindful of the influence of money, the influence of wealth upon your life. Amen? 
What God requires of us, he says, when you get 100%, you bring 10% of him of it to me. Only 10. He didn't say 20. He didn't say 50. I know people that give more than 10. That's okay. You know, but he says you, the tenth of your income belongs to me. The moment you find yourself struggling and not able to do that, it means money has come between you and God and you are now making compromises. You're making compromise. Number two, very quickly because of time, anyone who lays hands on the plow and looks back cannot be my disciple. These are the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we read from 57 to 62. Luke chapter 9, 57 to 62. He said, and as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, said, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man have no place to lay his head. Hallelujah. Jesus was saying this to him to pull out what was already inside of him to expose him to himself. He said to another person, come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. And Jesus responded. He said, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. That's your responsibility as a disciple. And we have an opportunity at this time with the pandemic and everything else going on in our country, we have a good opportunity to tell others about the kingdom of our God. Hallelujah. He says, and another said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go say bye-bye to my, to my family. And then he said, he said, but Jesus told him, anyone who wants to, anyone who puts a hand on the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Friends, when we surrender our lives to Christ, I mean, just think about those words. I like the way we say it. I like the way we say it, that I gave my life to Christ. I surrendered my life to Jesus. If my life is surrendered to Jesus, how come I'm in charge of my life? How come I'm making decisions outside of what he has said? How come my life is not lining up with the, the words of the one that I say I have surrendered my life to? It's called compromise, people of God. It's called compromise. Number three. Number three, very quickly. It says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. John chapter 15, uh, 14 and verse 15. John chapter 14 and verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, very simple, obey my commandments. <laughs> Don't come reason with me why you can't do what I've told you to do. He said, but if you love me and you have received me as your Lord and Savior, it says then do something very, very simple. Just go ahead and obey my commandment. In verse 21 of the same chapter, he told them, he said, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. 
And because they love me, my father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Praise the Lord. Praise the living Jesus. Many of us struggle with a number of things, but here's how I, I like to say it, and this is how I say it to myself. I begin with what I know. Amen? I begin with the knowledge of God that I have and begin from there to align myself to the word of God and to the will of God and to the commandment of God. Before you worry about all the other stuff, why don't you begin with what you already know? You say, I'm digging. I'm looking for what the will of God is. There are some basic will of God that you know. Act on them. There are basic commandments that you already know. Act on them. Praise the Lord. Praise the living Jesus. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, 1 John chapter 5 verse 3, it says, loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments, the, the scripture says very clearly, it says his commandments are not burdensome. It, 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 it's not a heavy load that you cannot handle. It says his commandments are not burdensome. The primary commandment of Christ to us, to you and I, is to love God with all of our hearts and with all of our minds. That's all. That's the primary commandment. When they asked Jesus in Matthew chapter uh, 22, they said, Master, tell us, which is the greatest commandment? From verse 37, he began to say to them, Matthew 22, 37, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then the next verse, he continues. He said, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. That is the primary command that God has given to us. You will notice it didn't qualify it. It didn't say love your neighbor that is nice. Amen. It didn't say love your neighbor that smiles to you. It just simply says love your neighbor. And if you remember that story, when Jesus said that, he said, okay, so who is my neighbor? Right? And then he told them the story about the Good Samaritan. Many of you are familiar with that story. Right? To show them what was already in their heart. To, a lot of times when you hear stuff like this, all God is trying to do is to reveal you to you. I love it when God reveals me to me. That there was a time God revealed me to me that I was a very angry person. I didn't believe it. Until I acted it out, I'm like, whoa, I need help. <laughs> I need you, Jesus. Help me. And the Lord has helped me. I'm still a work in progress. So if I get angry, those ah, we need to cast the spirit out of pastor now. No, 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 no. I've made a lot of progress. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> See, those are my peeps over there. <laughs> Praise the Lord. His commandment is very simple. In John chapter 13, you read verse 34. John 13, 34. It says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. 
Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Friends, that's a tall order. How did Christ love us? He gave his life for us. He died. They beat him. They did everything. He had the ability and the control to turn things around for himself, but he chose to go through it. You know why? Because of you and I. He loved us so much, he said, this matter of sin must be resolved and resolved very quickly. Praise the Lord. So he says, love the Lord your God. Love each other. The each other there is referring to the body of Christ. In the body, in the body, we must love each other as Christ has loved us. And then he says, for our neighbors, we love our neighbors as we have loved ourselves. We have loved ourselves after the manner Christ has loved us. So by extension, he's saying, love them as I have loved you. Praise the Lord. It is important that we don't get all wild up and uh, everything else. We must look into the scriptures and ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus have me do? What is the will of God for my life? And that is very, very important. All right? So the church, the ecclesia, the church is all about Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. Anything, once you remove Christ, you don't have a church. Because the Bible says they were called Christians because they saw the manner of their life that these people were Christ-like. So once you remove Jesus from the equation, you don't have Christian and you don't have church. So we have Christian church. A Christian church is a church that is made up of believers. This was the message of John to that first century church that we have been reading about. This is the message is passing across to them. This is what is said to talk to them about. And that message not only applies to that first century church that it was written to, that message applies to this 21st century church that we are a part of. Hallelujah. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, which is where we have, we have been since last Sunday. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, this then is the message. This is the message. This is the message. The message that we, which we have heard of him, the him there is Jesus. This is the message we have from Jesus. And now we declare to you. And there is no, uh, God is light. Let me read it again. First uh, John chapter 1 verse 5. He said, this is the message we had from Jesus. And now we declare it to you. What is the message? God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. No darkness whatsoever. When you read through the whole of the epistle, of the first epistle of John, you see him doing word and contrast. Word and contrast. He's talking, here he's talking about light and then he's talking about darkness. Other times he's talking about love and he's talking about hatred. At other times, he's talking about righteousness, and then he's talking about sin. He's contrasting the life of Christ with the life of the world. 
That's what he's doing consistently. And in the sixth verse, verse 6, if you put it up, please. First John chapter 1, verse 6. He says, so we are lying. Watch this now. We are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. So we are not practicing the truth. Another theme of this first epistle is truth. Truth and lie. Sin. This message was recorded at the Redeemed Christian Church of God Salvation Center, where we're maximizing potential and fulfilling destiny. We pray you'll be blessed as you listen to the following message. And righteousness. He's contrasting between the life of God and the life of the world. He's talking about the, 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 the love of the Father and the love of the world. As we continue later on, we're going to see that theme. We're going to run into that theme. So he talked about fellowship. And we have said that fellowship, koinonia, means participation. It's not just fellowship we hang out. It means we are all participating. We are all contributing. Participation. So very quickly, let's, let's dive deep into the, 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 the message that he has talked about. So last Sunday, we talked about the fact that God is light. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. We read John chapter 1 from 4 to 9. Uh, tells us that the word, uh, uh, verse one, uh, John 1, 1, he said, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Amen? And in verse 4, he begins to show us that that light became the life of man. And the first point we made last week is that light gives life. Light gives life. And I remember, I asked a question. Can you imagine our planet, our world, without the sun? There will be no life. Very simple. Very simple. There will be no life. I praise the Lord. And then the second point we made last week is that light inspires. Light inspires. The Bible says if you and I continue to dwell in the light, the fact that we are in the light of God is going to cause the light to inspire us to do better than the old life. Amen? It inspires. It inspires. And I asked a question last week, uh, a, a very simple question, but I hope you, you are thinking about it. It's important that you think about it. The question is, what are you becoming? What are you becoming? Or what have you become? Maybe another way to put it. What have you become? Because daily, you and I were changing. Daily, you and I were transitioning from one place to another. We're transitioning. We're changing. We're changing. The question is, are you changing for the better? Are you in a better place than you were last year in your work with Christ? Have you moved further along or are you still stuck in the past? Or have you regressed from where you were? You used to have a heart filled with love, but someone disappointed you, therefore everybody is a mess up. Do you know there's a way that if somebody, uh, 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 the example they give is that people that their fathers were not really uh, very good or kind to them, uh, 
somehow they tend to repeat those tendencies as well. You know, and you know how they say it in the English language, hurting people hurt others. Right? That's a general saying. But that is not true of you and I as children of God. We're better than that. Amen? I am better than that. And so are you. I praise the Lord. What are you becoming? Are you changing because of culture? You know, the, I've had many stories about this, and I, I don't believe there's any such person here. Amen? I've had many stories of people that when they came, that used to be fervent for the Lord, love the Lord, on fire, like, like we would say back in those days, they were on fire for God. Then they come to the United States of America, it's like they put uh, ice over them. And you're wondering, is this the same person I used to know? Is this the same person that was on fire for God? Is this the same person? I hope your environment has not changed you. I hope America has not caused you to become someone, something different from what you used to be. I know there can be a lot of distraction. I, I live here too. I live here. Not only do I live here, I work. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I used to say before I went by vocational again that I used to work. It's not like from day one the church started, I was just full-time pastor. No. There was a time I, when the church started, I was, I was in the military, then I finished in the military, then I got a job, I'm working, I'm doing church, I'm doing family, I'm doing all of that. I'm juggling everything together. You know, somehow, people look at the pastor, and that's why I like our church, the Redeemed Christian Church of God. Salvation Center is not my church. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm a member just like you are. I don't own the church. By the grace of God, I'm actually prayerfully asking God what is the transition going to be like so we can transition to a younger person to continue to run the thing. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So the stake you have is the same stake that I have. I'm a child of God just as much as you are a child of God. My commitment to the church is not because I am pastor. My commitment to church is because I'm a child of God. I praise the Lord. I praise the living Jesus. So I hope nothing is changing who you are. Who you are. If you are changing at all, I pray that you are changing for the better. And you know, that there's a way finances can also cause us to draw back. Amen. Don't let it happen to you. Don't let the society change the fine believer that you are. Don't let the culture, we're not supposed to be imbibing the culture. We're supposed to be a, 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 a not a thermometer, but a thermostat. We're supposed to be a thermostat. We're supposed to regulate the temperature in our environment, not going with the flow. The thermometer adjust to the temperature around it. So if the water is 100 degrees, you put a thermometer in it. If the thermometer was 20 degrees before, guess what? It's going to shoot up to 100. Right? But a thermostat, if a thermostat is set at 70, guess what? All the thermostat is trying to do is to balance everything to make sure it stays at 70. And that is who we are supposed to be as believers. 
So, he said to them, he said, God is light. And in him, there is no spiritual darkness at all. No spiritual darkness. What's spiritual darkness? Spiritual darkness is sin. Spiritual darkness is very simple. It is sin. What is sin? The word, the Greek word translated sin is hamartia. Hamartia. And it means a number of things. Number one, it could mean to miss the mark. We were going to buy a, a dark board yesterday, uh, but one of the girls said, <laughs> he said, with you two, that's not a good idea. Before you start throwing that at each other. <laughs> so once I had that, I said, for sure we are not buying one. <laughs> because they know themselves more than me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So to miss the mark, so there's a bull's eye when you are throwing the dart. There's a bull's eye. When you miss the bull's eye, that's sin. That's what he's talking about. Or it could be to err, to make a mistake. It is not unlikely that you and I will make mistakes from time to time. Is that not true? We make mistakes. Or to miss or wander from the path of uprightness and honor to do wrong, or to do or go wrong. Or it means to wander away from the law of God. And then I've also found out, listen to this, that sin can be subjective. Sin can be subjective. What is sin to you may not be sin to me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. James chapter 4, verse 17. James chapter 4, verse 17. It says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. It says, to you, to you, to you, to you, to that person, it is what? It is sin. It is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Say to that person, it is sin. Jesus, as the light, brought a permanent solution. Listen to this. Jesus brought a permanent solution to the issue of sin in the life of men. Sin can be categorized into two. The condition of being sinful, meaning you are a, the nature of that person is the nature of sin. Amen? Jesus came to answer and solve that problem. Those are the people that have not surrendered their life to Christ, so that have, uh, we call them unregenerated people. So, the condition of sin, Jesus took care of it, when he hung on the cross. Praise the Lord. And then the action of sin, remember, one of the definitions of sin that we have is to err. To err is human. Isn't that what they say? To err is human. You, you have erred. Some of you have erred this morning. Amen? Some of us have erred this morning. It is human to err. So when a believer makes a mistake, or goes out of that central thing that God has called you to do, the blood of Jesus has also made provision for the cleansing of that sin. Listen to me. What I found out about life is that intimacy requires honesty. Intimacy what? Requires honesty. You have to be honest to yourself. You have to be Forth, forthcoming with God. Uh, give me First John chapter 1. Let's read from 7 to 10. First John 
chapter 1 from verse 7 to 10. He said, but if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And guess what? The blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus cleanses, uh, the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from what? Some sin? Majority? No. He says it cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Amen. He said, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So somebody is saying, oh, well, if the blood of Jesus already cleansed me from all my sin, why do I need to confess my sin? So that you can come clean to God. So that you yourself, you are admitting that, Lord, I know I have erred. I know I missed the mark. And therefore, I'm coming to you. You see, if you, verse 9, verse 9 qualifies it with if. He said, if, if. If we confess our sin, it means it's conditional. Meaning, if I don't confess my sins, then the rest doesn't apply. He said, but if we confess our sins to him, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. But the first step is the if. If I will take the step and confess my sin. So he's saying, we confess our sins, we repent of our sins, and God is faithful. God is faithful. For there to be intimacy with God, the first step is to be honest with God. It must be rooted in honesty. You know why? It is never too late to do the right thing. Praise the Lord. One of the things I have found in my experience over the years is people have gotten used to their sinful ways. And you say, well, it is what it is. You know, it's just life, pastor. It's just life. It's just life. That is not the kind of relationship that God desires with you. For you and I to be intimate with the Father, that intimacy must be rooted in honesty. I must come clean. I must come to the Lord. I must come and say, Lord, I recognize my sinfulness and I am sorry. That's what repentance is. I'm sorry and I, I make an about face. I turn around and I go the other way instead of the, my old ways. The third thing there is light is a guide. Light is a guide. Psalm 119, 105, verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105. It says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Listen, listen. The word of God, the Bible says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And it tells us that that word is the light. And that light gave life. <laughs> Before God did anything in Genesis chapter 1, the first thing he did was what? Let there be light. Let there be light. So, it says the word of God. 
The word of God is what is going to guide me, what is going to lead me, what is going to direct my path. As long as I am following the word, my path will be lit and I will see when there is danger in the way. Praise the Lord. God will lead us. God will guide us. God will preserve us in the name of Jesus. Listen. First John, I'm going to conclude here. First John chapter 3 and verse 9. First John chapter 3 verse 9. It says, those that have been born into the family of God, into God's family, do not make a practice of sinning. Because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. Listen close to this. You cannot continue to excuse yourself even though you are living in sin. It is one of the problems of the church today that has made the body weak. Because people are living in sin and they are justifying their behavior. It says, if you are a child of God, if you are a part of the family of God, if you are a member of his family, you don't make a practice of sinning. It's not saying I can't make a mistake, I can't trip up and fall and this or that, but I get up from that place and I make a, a different decision and begin my journey with God. Praise the Lord. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, it says, if we continue to sin deliberately, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, it said, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning, after we have received the knowledge of truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Praise the Lord. You know, one of the reasons... As I'm preaching and teaching, you will notice there's a lot of scriptures. I put in a lot of scriptures there. It's very simple. I prefer for the scripture to speak for itself than for me to give my personal interpretation and explanation. Amen? It says to continue to practice sin, you don't look like God that way. And it says, in fact, the very fact that you continue to do that, you stand a real and present danger. He said, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning, meaning I know, I know this is wrong. I did it yesterday. I did it the day before. I did it last week. I did it the week before. I did it last month. I, I, I mean, it's, I, I do it all the time. He said, if I continue in that path, there is no sacrifice. It means the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, is no longer available for such a scenario. Say because you deliberate, you know it is wrong, but you deliberately continue in it. What you're saying is whatever Jesus did is not enough. Whatever he did is not enough. You know it is wrong. You have had the sermon. You have had it said over and over and over and over again, but you continue to do it. And you tell yourself, oh, you know, my budget is tight this month. That is why uh, my this is that. That is why, you know, we're trying to save on cost. That's why we are living together so that uh, we can get married. Oh, really? So, you are cutting costs on budget. Why you are living together? Are you living together and having the benefits of marriage? 
If you are, then you are only deceiving yourself by saying budget is the only reason you're living together. As believers, we must seek to unite the body of Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the, the right path and be careful not to fall into the same sin yourself. Romans 12, verse 18, it says to you and I, do all. Can we read that together? Let's read it together. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. He didn't say to the members of your church. He didn't say to fellow believers. He said to everyone, as much, the old King James says, as much as it lies within you. It means as much as you are in control of that situation, you must live peaceably with all men. And I'm going to close with this. Proverbs 24 and verse 29. Proverbs 24 verse 29. Say, and don't say, now I can pay back for what they've done to me. I'll get even with them. Please rise to your feet. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for me. The Lord will make room for us. In the name of Jesus. God will cause his face to shine upon us. Why don't you lift up both hands to heaven and just talk to the Lord at this time? I believe God has spoken to you. If indeed God has spoken to you, why don't you talk back to him? This is a participation part now. This is a fellowship. This is a fellowship. You commune and talk to the Father. He says, the, the reason we have brought this message to you is so that we may have fellowship with you and our fellowship will be with you and the Father and the Son. Why don't you talk to the Father this morning? Talk to Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Are there any besetting sin in your life? Is there anything that you are struggling with at this time? Say, Lord, help me. I have heard your word. I need your help. I'm not excusing my behavior, but rather I'm saying, Lord, help me to be better. His grace is more than sufficient to lift you up, to lift me up, and to bring us to where we need to be. In the mighty name of Jesus. The Bible says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Why don't you confess your sin to this afternoon? Say, Lord, I confess my sin. Sin in my thought, my imagination. Sins in my word, all the curse words. Sin in my actions. Sin in my inaction. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on me. Have mercy, Jehovah. Have mercy, King of glory. In the name of Jesus. Lord, you, your word says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, 
Lord, I surrender all unto you because you are more than able, more than able, more than capable. You are the almighty God, all-powerful, all-knowing. Arise for our help, O God. We have none else besides you. Help us, mighty God. Help us, King of glory. You are our rock and our defense. Our hope. In you we live, in you we move. In you we have our being. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, blessed Redeemer. In Jesus' matchless name, I have prayed. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you because, Lord, your word inspires us to be better. We thank you because the light of your word gives life unto us. We thank you because the, your word, it, it guides us in the way that we ought to go. We have had your word. Father, help us to be doers. You said, above all else, you have called us to love. Love God and love your neighbors just as yourself. Daddy, help us to love. Jehovah, help us. The Bible says that your love is already in our hearts. That we may give expression to your love that is already in our hearts. Help us, mighty God. Help us, King of glory. In Jesus' mighty name, I have prayed. Father, we thank you. Uh, we commit the week ahead into your hands. Lord, have your way. Jehovah, let your will be done in our lives. Father, I pray, even as we depart from here, let your light lead us. Let your light guide us. Let your light inspire us to be different. Let your light inspire us to be like Christ. In all that we do, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Father. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We encourage you to fellowship with us here at Salvation Center if you are in the San Antonio area. For more information, visit our website at www.rccgsanantonio.org.